Let's look at Exodus chapter 33, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised you on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. And Oh, wait a minute. Just making sure you're listening. All right. I'm glad to hear you're listening. All right. Okay, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I will destroy you along the way. And when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for even one moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. And so the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Oreb. And now Moses used to take the tent, a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down. And stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends and Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name. You have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses says, now show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time of worship and that you are here and that you desire to speak to us this day. More than that, not just to speak to us, to somehow convey some message. You desire to meet us in a way that we would be drawn closer to you than ever before. So help us. Help me to speak your words. Go beyond anything I say, though. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fall upon us in a mighty and a powerful way. That today would not be about some kind of information, but there would be a transformation in us, a change. No matter where we're at in this, there would be this change that would take place that we might press in to your presence even closer. Thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. You've probably met someone or a couple who is young and in love, right? You know what it's like. 
They just want to spend every waking moment with one another. They just want to be together. And when they're not together, what do they want? They are just, when they're not together, they're just thinking about the next time they're going to get together. Right? Oh, I just can't wait until I'm back. We're back together. And, you know, and it just kind of grows from there. And they get engaged. And it only intensifies when they're engaged. And some of us are like, oh, please. But, you know, it just intensifies. Uh, and they, they really, really, really like it. Because they just can't wait. They just can't wait until they are together forever in marriage. And yet... For some, that relationship changes when they get married. You hear people talk about how, oh, the spark is gone. Or the flame is flickering a little bit. And there are a number of reasons why this happens. But a common reason that that happens is that one or both have stopped pursuing the other person once they are married. They've caught them now. And so they settle down together and stop pursuing the other person in love. They've reached the goal, which was to get married. What they think of is the pinnacle of human love. Because you've reached it then. If you're married, then you've reached the pinnacle. And that, that's it, in a sense. The problem is that we see marriage as the finish line when the reality is it is what? The starting line, right? Of our relationship together. Please understand, it doesn't mean that when someone gets to this place, it doesn't mean they don't care about one another. It doesn't mean that there isn't love. It doesn't mean that they somehow think that they don't have to try anymore. Rather, they've just gotten their eyes off the prize to continue to pursue the one that they love. And we see it. We see it happening. I'm talking about this, but think about it. The man stops opening the door for the wife, right? Stop opening doors. Eventually that starts to, that, that happens. And it's, it's not, you know, to him it's not a big deal. So why, why does that matter? Not because she can open the door herself, which she can, but it's just more practical. I mean, it's freezing outside right now. It's just snowing and, and all this going on. For me to walk around, it doesn't make any sense. For me to do that right now, it's just not practical. And, and we're in a hurry, and so it's not very efficient as far as the time goes. Besides that, I don't want to step on her uh, ability to uh, be independent. Uh, you know, so we see it happening. She knows I love her, right? She knows I love her. It's not a big deal. I say that an example with the man, but women, fun example for you, like no longer being overly concerned about your appearance in front of the man. After all, it's not practical all the time now. I mean, there's so much going on. I know when we were dating and things like that, I would always get myself, but you know what? It's just that there's that, that time and it's really just no big deal. You know, why? it doesn't matter. I'll do it when we go out with other people, but not necessarily. I mean, my husband loves me for the way I am. And we know this is true, but 
Do you grasp that as well? This is true as an analogy for our relationship with God. That loses its spark. That finds the flame flickering. Or at least never really getting brighter between us and God. And while there are again a number of reasons for that. One of the most common reasons is that we stop pursuing God. Because we've already caught Him so to speak. After all, the Bible says, seek and you will find. Guess what? I found. He found me. That's it. That's all there is. No, that's not all there is. Being a Christian is about continuing in the great pursuit of our greatest love. That's what it's about. You know, I'm going to guess for a a number of you here that were with me when... Uh, did that first candidating message, that God uh, moved upon you, God spoke to you, that, that in that message you pressed in at that time to the presence of God and maybe even after that moment, but since then you found yourself caught up in a lot of other pursuits. And we can end up saying, that was a great message just to press into the presence, but been there, done that. And perhaps without realizing it, we have stopped intentionally pursuing the presence of God into a closer relationship with the one who should be our greatest love. And we can make the excuses just like a married couple. My life is so busy. It's just not practical. God loves me just the way I am anyway. He's he's happy with the way it is. It's no big deal. Who says that? Where do we get that? How do we know that... How could we think that God is content if no one ever gets closer or deeper in love with Him? If we just stay the way it is. When our number one priority, our number one purpose, what we were created for, what we have been called to, is the greatest commandment that Jesus himself said was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. See what we're talking about. It's not some simple little thing. It's it's not just something that's an extra. This is the main thing. The great pursuit of our greatest love. It's not a one and done command. We have not fully arrived and we need to get back to that pursuit. Uh, This morning, as we look at it, you'll see in the points, there are two simple keys, so to speak, that we'll look at. The first is that we must keep pressing into the presence. Getting and staying closer to God does not happen on its own any more than any other relationship. It just doesn't happen. It's a choice, the choice to keep pressing in. We see the example of Moses right here, who never stopped pursuing, but consistently, continually pressed into the presence of God closer and closer. We just read Exodus 33, so look at that. And verse 7, let's take another look at verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent, 
and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the presence of God came down, Moses pursued. He went there. He went after God. He pursued the presence. He went there to be with God. He was following, as is he following in haste, pursuing every opportunity. And yet what we read after that is the people were content. They were worshiping, but they were content to just stay where they were at close enough. It's fine. God loves us right where we're at. It's no big deal. And so they just stopped right at their tent and they did not pursue God. Perhaps because there's a sense that they already had God. After all those years of captivity in Egypt, think about it, all these years in captivity in Egypt, seemingly God wasn't there. They, they did, could not sense God working or moving or even being there while they're in captivity in Egypt. And now they have been set free. Now they've been set free. Now they're at the mountain of God. Now God has given them the commandments and how they're supposed to live their lives. That's all they need, isn't it? We're done. We got God. We didn't have God. Now we got God. Not one of them. It's just amazing that not one of them, when God came, pursued after him. Not one of them pressed in after God. Not because they stopped believing. Not because they were ignoring God. They did their religious duty. But they no longer involved themselves in a great pursuit of their greatest love. And yet Moses was hungry for more. For more of God. For more of what God could do for him. No. Moses was just hungry for more of God. Not for more of what God could do for him. Just for more of God himself in a deeper, more intimate relationship. Moses kept pressing in. Look at verse 13. It's verse 13. I pray if I have found favor in your sight, show me the way. Show me your way. Why? Why does he want that? What is he saying? That I may know you. Not show me your way so I know which way to go in my life or to make decisions in my life. Or I, I want you to, to show me God and enlighten me so that I can help this or help that. No. His main purpose, which is our main purpose, was that I may know you and find grace in your sight. Think about that. In, in verse 13 it says, so that I may know you. Why did Moses even have to pray that? Why would Moses pray so that I might know you? When we, Especially we look at verse 11 earlier and it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. If God and Moses are getting together face to face like a man speaks with a friend, why would Moses need to pray so I may know you? Didn't he know him? Wasn't that good enough? It was probably more than anybody else. More than anybody else there, Moses was closer than anyone. And yet he said, I want more. I want to be closer. I want to continue to pursue after you, God. I want to know you. 
He did not set it on cruise control. He did not coast. He did not take a break for himself now and then from God. And when he came to his relationship with God, he kept pressing into the presence closer and closer, never stopping. And we see him getting closer than ever more and more, even to the point where we get to verse 18 where he says, show me the glory. And and, and we don't have time today to get into that, but that will lead us into the next step or next part of this in part three, so to speak, next week as we follow up with this. But this morning... As we talk about pressing into the presence of God, we need to take a lesson from Moses to keep it continually happening. Not just continually, but continually pressing forward closer and closer. Not just in certain times, not just pursuing on, a, on Sunday mornings for a couple hours, but persistently, passionately pursuing the presence of God with every breath we take, with every step we take closer and closer than ever before. Amen? Can we do that? Can we have that as that goal that I, this year, God is calling us to, is that we might not just press into His presence, but that we might do it in such a way that we can say that we are closer to God than we have ever been in our entire life. You may have had some great and amazing experiences as a Christian throughout your life, but you are not closer than you have ever been. Because that is what yet lies ahead. To keep pressing like Moses. He he was already farther ahead than anybody else. That didn't matter. That wasn't what it was about. As evangelicals, in our zeal to evangelize, we can end up reducing the Great Commission to just be about making a decision and not about making disciples that follow after or pursue Jesus. That's what He's called us to do. But we've relegated it down to just decisions. And therefore, too many don't even think they have to pursue God. They don't even, that doesn't even come into their, their mind. Because all it really was about was just getting their ticket to heaven. That becomes the goal of religion then. You get your ticket to heaven. Christians uh, have made everything else optional. Many Christians have made everything else optional, just an add-on to faith, as long as you get your ticket to heaven. But we've missed the sense of what eternal life really is all about, which is knowing Jesus, being in relationship with Him. Jesus says in John 17, 3, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what eternal life is. Instead, what we have done is we have made eternal life to be about getting to heaven someday. That's what we say eternal life is, is about we're going to get to heaven someday. It's not about Knowing God is not about a love relationship, eternal life. Jesus is saying right here, I can't change it any different. He says, this is what it's about. And the problem is that for some people who've made it just about getting to heaven someday, the reality is they are more excited that they don't have to go to hell and they get to go to heaven than they are that they get to be with God the rest of eternity. That's not... Really, what they're looking for or excited about. They think that the day they got saved is kind of like the day they got married to God and they don't have to do anything with their relationship afterwards. 
We've lost this percent, this sense of pursuit of God by boiling Christianity down to just a decision, a choice that was made. Not about following Jesus. We've made it that all you really got to do is just say one special prayer. If you can say this one special prayer, you're good. And that means even if you never pray again, you're still good. Even if you can never open up a Bible, you never read and, 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 and try to hear from God speak to you. If you never uh, are a part of worshiping Him in any way, you know what, you're still good. Because you, all you have to do is say that special prayer. The reality is that there are day of salvation. Uh, so many see that, like, okay, I've crossed the finish line. And just like we said with marriage, the day of salvation is the starting line, not the finishing line. It's the starting line that we got to continue in that great pursuit of our greatest love. We've not been taught that. We've not been taught that it is about a deeper relationship with our greatest love that is going to last throughout all of eternity. We've not been taught to pursue and to keep pursuing God as He says in His Word. How much closer have you gotten in this pursuit? Are you seeking? Are you continuing to seek? You know, this goes along with what years ago, A.W. Tozer, a famous alliance guy, but more than alliance, A.W. Tozer says in his classic book, The Pursuit of God. I'm going to share a quote with you from him. I want you to keep this in mind as we read this quote, that he, at least the book, and he probably said it before this, but at the very least, he said this in 1948. I'm not sure much has changed. In this dark day, we have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center on the initial act of, quote, accepting Christ, a term incidentally which is not found in the Bible. And we are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. We have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. Exactly what I'm talking about. Christianity is about knowing God, not about meeting God. It is about a constant pursuit. It is about, first and foremost, a love that continues to grow deeper and closer to our Lord. Not merely to know God as some casual acquaintance or even some big boss up in the sky, but like verse 11, to know God in a face to face kind of friendship. And I'm sure many of us say, what a friend we have in Jesus. And in your heart, you're really, what a friend I have in Jesus. But does Jesus have a real friend in you? In the way that that definition is and should be. Or is it mostly a one-way friendship? That's not a real friendship. It's not just about fellowship with God. In fact, it's really not just about friendship. It's about something higher. It's about something deeper. It's about something greater than any friendship. It's about a great pursuit of our greatest love. 
and we must keep pressing in in a pursuit that never ends, that never stops. Moses didn't go to the tent once and say, you know what, I went to the tents, God was there, I met him, that was great, wow, one experience, but you know, been there, done that. I caught God, he caught me, I'm good, I'm done. No. Continue to seek. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Or Psalm 105, verse 4. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Not one time. Not, but every time, every breath, continue to seek him. It's like that old hymn that says, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord. To pursue implies movement, action, doing something, so to speak. Don't just stand there at the tent. Chase after God to get closer to him than you have ever been before. And let's not forget that pursuing a closer, deeper, intimate relationship with God is not something that just happens overnight. It's not just something that happens in this service right here. It begins and and can continue. But it takes time and effort, just like any relationship. Because if we stay away from one another for a period of time, Our relationship doesn't stay the same. It's not like uh, we put it on hold and everything will be just like it was. Any more than any other relationship we have with humans, so with God himself. We need to be consistent. But we also need to be persistent. When things slow us down, when things stop our pursuit to God, that's when we must keep pressing through to His presence. We can talk about pursuing God, but it's not like He's far away. He's near to us. And yet often, there are things that we sense that just kind of block our way to God. There are times that we just feel like something is keeping us from getting closer. I want to get closer, but I'm finding that difficult, or I, I don't really even know what it is. I try to make in those times, an effort to press through that. Whatever it is, to find that, to to recognize for the Holy Spirit, to help us to press through whatever it is that's keeping us from getting closer, that's somehow slowing us down. There are those who have difficulty with this whole concept of pressing in closer to God. Because as they grew up, perhaps, they had an image of God given to them that was different than God being someone that you should get closer to. In fact, the image that was given to them was God is somebody you better just keep your distance from. You better stay back, almost to run and hide away from Him, or at least stand there and look good, right? Don't mess. He is an angry, vengeful God is what we've been told and and the way we've, we've seen it. That he is just looking for a reason to knock you into next week. Not to mention, no matter what you do, he will never be pleased with it. That is not the biblical picture of God, even though it may be a perfect picture of one of your parents growing up. We need 
to press through faulty perceptions of God that are hindering our pursuit, that are keeping us from getting closer. We keep our distance, and yet God is the one who went to such great lengths to draw near to us, to bring us back in relationship with Him by sending His one and only Son to die for us. And so we should have no difficulty. We think about why should we hesitate getting close to God when everything He's done to come close to us. Everything that He wants, everything that it was about was Him getting closer to us. If we come humbly before Him, there is no need to be afraid of getting closer to God. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our to help in our time of need, to press through the faulty perception of God that can even leave uh, faithful Christians kind of expending this effort to just, I'm trying, I'm really trying to get closer. I'm really trying to show God how much I love Him. And, and, and we're showing God how much we love Him by how much we're doing for God. And yet, as much as you are are doing for God as much as you're trying to really just show God you love, for some reason there is not this sense that you feel any closer to God. Even though people look at you and say, wow, you're really spiritual. Wow, look at all the things you do for God and some amazing things. That is really great. But inside, you don't feel any closer to God than you did 20 years ago. What's happening? Why is it going on? You do everything you can to try to please God. You don't sense you're any closer because you're stuck in this performance mentality that never feels like you have ever done enough or will ever be good enough. As if any of us could ever be good enough. As if any of us by our work could earn God's love. We can't. Which is why that we need to press through. We need to press through this kind of thinking in our great pursuit of our greatest love. Because our work or our works do not determine our worth before God. Our works for God do not determine our worth to God. God loves us. Not because of what we do. Not even because of who we are. God loves us because of who He is. And that's what He does. Love. You. Don't allow these kinds of things to keep you from getting closer to God. We need to press through that. To press into that presence. Pursuing Him. Not His approval. Just Him. We need to focus on just being with God. And recognizing as we do that, that as, is, as we are with Him, He enables us through His strength to accomplish some great and mighty things. 
But it's not because we're trying to prove anything to God or show anything. It's because that's what he does through us by us being so close with him. Uh, Let's not swing the pendulum all the way over from what the truth of God's word is, though. There are those who rightfully should be afraid to chase after God. Catch that? There are those who rightfully should be afraid to chase after God. Uh, Not so much that that they're going to catch God, but, but rather that he might catch them. You say, what? What How can you say that? Think about Adam and Eve. Right? Think about Adam and Eve and what took place with them. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid away from God. They hid their face from the face, or quote, remember when we were here before, face and presence, the same word in the Hebrew, face and presence. They hid their face from the face, the presence of God. They stopped pursuing the presence of God because of their sin. It created a distance between their relationship with God. And in verse 9 in chapter 3 of Genesis, then God was like, Adam, where are you? <laughs> As if God didn't know where Adam was, you know. You know, one, it's it, they're just in the garden, first of all. It's like we're not talking about, you know, that big. But, you know, here they're, they're in the garden. As if God didn't know uh, where Adam was. The question is, did Adam knew, know where he was? Did Adam know where he was really at? See, when it comes down to it, uh, and, and I've said this before, uh, pass it on from somebody else, our biggest problem is not that we have a sin problem, it's that we have a love problem. Because when we are fully pursuing our greatest love, it's difficult to get ourselves in trouble with the Lord. Unlike uh, King Rehoboam. Look at what King says about King Rehoboam in uh, 2 Chronicles. And he did evil. Why? I put the dot, 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 by the way, there. Think about it. Think about King Rehoboam. He said he did evil. Why did he do evil? Well, he had a bad father and what his father did and, and his fathers were bad and the kings and he had really problems and he had some people in his life and he had, he had uh, you know, he had some problems with uh, anger. He had some problems with... The, no. He did evil because, what does it say? He did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Ultimately, he did evil because he did not pursue God. He did not pursue the presence of God and getting closer. That's why he did evil. Pursuing love helps to prevent a lot of our pressing through problems that we talk about. If our heart longs to pursue God, it needs to be a clean heart. Adam and Eve did not have to hide away from God, the God who can take away their sin. Which, by the way, regarding Adam and Eve, let's make sure we keep in mind, they were the ones who hid, not God. God did not hide from them. He doesn't hide from us. If things hadn't gone to that extreme, He wants to be found. He wants to have a closer, deeper relationship. That's why He created us. That's why we exist for our greatest love. Don't let the devil use guilt and shame to stop you in your pursuit of God. Instead, leave the sin behind and find a forgiving Father who loves you 
with an everlasting love, who draws you with unfailing kindness, as Jeremiah 31 says. Like in the parable of the prodigal son, who decided that he would finally turn away from his sin and come back home. And as he was on his way back, as he turned and made his way back, and his father saw him, what took place? As he turned to pursue back, his father turned and ran after his son. Ran to his son. Do you know that's what God wants to do with you? There should be no hesitation on our part because there is no hesitation on God's part. Let us run back to the father who wants to and is ready to run towards us, to pursue us just as we are pursuing him. It is not possible to press into the presence of God and yet remain where you are at. We must, in the power of the Holy Spirit, press through whatever problem it is. You must be changed and leave behind everything and to join, to join the great pursuit with everything we've got. We cannot be content to stay at our tent, keep things as they are, and think at the same time somehow we're going to get closer to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? How can you get closer to God? How can that change if you stay exactly where you're at? Somebody's got to move here. And it's us. To God. Pursuing Him. Now, here's the thing. There are those who keep their distance from God out of fear that God's going to ask, if I get too close to God, God's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. I'm going to have to serve in the nursery. I don't know. I I, And change diapers. You know, oh, no, no. Or or what's the the one? I'm going to have to... Africa, that's right. If I get too close to Africa, get too close to this thing, God's going to ask me to go to Africa. By the way, we got some people in our congregation that are going to do that. Guy's going to, I know, he's just going to ask me to go to Africa or something like that. How is that a pursuing love after God? If we're not willing to let go and go where he's calling us, how can we be loving God with all we've got if we don't want to give him all we got? Are you with me? How can we be say we love God with all we got, but we're not willing to give Him all we've got? We've got to surrender in this, to pursue, to run with everything that we are, to press through. Again, A.W. Tozer speaks to this. He says, I have often wondered why so few enter true intimacy with God. I believe it's because it comes with a price. Death to the flesh in our prideful ways. It requires discipline and devotion, culling from our lives those things that bear little fruit for eternity, yet demand large chunks of physical and emotional reserves. It means rearranging our schedules and our priorities so that we can devote time to the pursuit of God, seeking His plan and purpose of our lives. So are we ready to not just talk about it? But to do something about it? Are we ready to get back 
in the great pursuit of our greatest love, never ending, never giving up, always hungry, always thirsty, wanting more, like Moses shows us an example here. And yet, even as I say this, we need to understand, like anything else in our Christian life, it cannot be done in our own strength. Our will has to be all in. But this is not something just you can do. It is something that the Holy Spirit within us can help us to do this, to draw close, to fast and pray, to whatever it might be, uh, to draw near to Him, to help us to love God as we ought, that there would be a sense that He would pour out His love into our hearts, not just for others, but for God Himself. To allow Him to do this work, to help us, to draw us closer, to have within us this passion that pursues. Is that something you want to do? It's not the question, is that something you want? It should be something we all want. But is it something we really are ready to do? To not just say, been there, done that. Or I'll be there and do that on Sunday. But with every breath, take with every step we make are we ready to jump into the great pursuit of our greatest love worship team come let's pray father thank you for our time just ask that you would move and work as only you can in us with this we have before us a, an amazing opportunity in this week of fasting and praying to press into your presence even closer than we've been in the past. Lord, there is so much more of You. We have not reached the finish line. I pray that You would help us to pursue You with everything we got. And we need Your help. We need You, Holy Spirit, even now that we would set ourselves before you, surrendering our will and setting our face towards your face, your presence. Work in us this morning. In your name we pray.